This is Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. Have you ever wondered why there are so many nicely aligned red pine trees all throughout Michigan? There's a new children's book that tells their story. With spring comes a time to paddle the Chain of Lakes water trail. The butterflies are blooming in Grand Rapids, and your kids' imagination will flourish with a spring break visit to Lansing. We travel Michigan next, where your trip begins at michigan.org. It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. Here we are. It is springtime in Michigan. People are starting to think about getting outdoors again. And, um, you know, the, the cool thing is you really should prepare for wherever you're going, get your thoughts together. Uh, have you ever noticed when you're going outside, perhaps, to enjoy a, a trail experience, a lot of places in Michigan you'll find these nicely lined up rows of red pines. They're all over the state. And you, you might have wondered why they're there. Well, there's a really simple answer. A group called the Civilian Conservation Corps planted those trees a long time ago. And there's a Michigan artist that tells a story about those trees. And let's find out about that story and how she uses the uh, trees to tell a nice children's uh, story. Let's bring in Gloria Whalen. She is a children's author. Gloria, are you from the Detroit area? I am from the Detroit area. Yeah, well, it's, it's good to have you with us today. I know you, you've you uh, written uh, books before. I believe you wrote a Homeless Bird, which um, was uh, quite popular. And, and now you have a new book coming out. Um, tell us about this. It's called Summer of the Army, a Civilian Conservation Corps Story. Sounds interesting. Well, I was driving uh, north with my son. We're on the way to do a little fly fishing and grailing. Um, and we happened to see the sign for the Civilian Conservation Corps Museum in Ross Common, Michigan. So we stopped to take a look at the museum, and it was just, it was so interesting. Uh, we had a large number of uh, CCC uh, young men who were up in Michigan. They lived in barracks there, and in the museum they had the actual barracks, that were there, they, they're, they're reproductions really, but they're, they look like the barracks. And they had pictures of all of the Conservation Corps young men who were there in Michigan. And it just it just seemed to me like it was weird that I talked about. So I began writing the book and I imagined a young boy uh, who uh, happened to be up here from, uh, from the city of Detroit, unused to the woods, and he can, he's confronted with a bear, he's very upset, and he meets a young boy who kind of introduces him to nature and to northern Michigan. So that was sort of the, the beginning of the story, and it all came from the museum up there in Ross Common. Uh, it's, a, it's a cool museum, uh, and of course it has such beautiful trees in that area, including some, some virgin pine in that area as well. So... That makes a lot of sense that you would think of that as a kind of inspiration for the story. Well, you know, another nice thing about this is that young people today, you know, we've all gone through this horrible COVID thing. Uh, I know they've been scared because of all the challenges and strife that they've been going through. And, and maybe by reading a book like this, they could learn a little bit about um you know, what happened back then at the, the days of the Civilian Conservation Corps where young men were put to work planting trees. Yes, it's it's so interesting that this the time of the uh, 
of the Great Depression, which is when the Civilian Conservation Corps began, was really not unlike the time that we're going through right now. Uh, one in four uh, young men were unemployed. Uh, a lot of them had no opportunity to go to school. So the Corps uh, would provide uh, lessons for the, for the young men if they hadn't had schooling provided uh, a, a small salary for them and trained them to do all kinds of things. So it was not only planting the trees, but they fought a forest fire. And that's an important part of the story that I'm telling. Uh, and they built bridges. So they did all kinds of things that we are now uh, beholden to them for. Yeah. Yes, true. So does this boy in your story go through uh, various obstacles along his journey? He does. He does indeed. He's he's uh, the young man who is the uh, who is the conservation corps uh, boy uh, has a lot of problems. Uh, he's he's very unused to the woods, but uh, he gradually, with with the friendship of this young man who lives up here in northern Michigan, gradually becomes uh, used to the woods and and begins to enjoy them. He, he finds a, a great fishing spot. He learns to fish, catches fish. Uh, so all of a sudden, he's acclimated to, uh, to northern Michigan. And do you, um, you know, during his travels, do you have him visit any specific places that we might know of, you know, towns or, or communities? Well, uh, one of the towns, of course, would be Grayling. And I have my own personal uh, relationship with that. Uh, during the during the depression, my father lost his job, and uh, he was he found a job building those barracks up in uh, in Grayling, uh, in Grayling, Michigan. So up we went to northern Michigan. He took my father, my mother, and he took me, and we went to uh, live in a, in a little cabin on uh, the branch, the east branch of the Asaba River, and we were there all summer long. And of course, I was a city girl, so that was my first introduction to the northern Michigan woods, and I loved it. And it's where I I learned really to enjoy nature and to find all of the things in nature that uh, that have become so important to me. And look where it's led you to now as an author of uh, a new book called Summer of the Army, a Civilian Conservation Corps Story. Uh, that's uh, going to be something to look forward to. Where can people find the book? Uh, they can find the book uh, on Amazon, and they can find it at all kinds of uh, local bookstores. Uh, they can find it as well uh, up in northern Michigan at uh, at bookstores up there. So all the, book, all the bookstores should have it. Yeah, well, of course, we can go to your website to find out more, too. GloriaWhalen.com. That's W-H-E-L-A-N, GloriaWhalen.com. And our thanks to you for joining us today. We're going to do some paddling next up north here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. Well, spring has finally arrived in most of the state, uh, certainly in the, the southern part of the lower peninsula, and slowly up north, uh, all that snow is, is melting, and it's obvious that spring is finally really here. And that means it's time to uh, pull out uh, the uh, the kayaks and the canoes and uh, power boats and sailboats before you know it. Anybody who listens to this show, though, knows that I'm a paddler and I love being out in a the kayak. There's something, 
I don't know, something really calming about being in a kayak, whether you're in a, a, a lake or in a, a river. There's something really neat about it, and I just love it. And I know the folks we're going to talk to next feel the same way. Let's bring in Dina Jurdy. She is from the uh, the uh, Chain of Lakes Water Trail and Paddle Antrum. So it's good to have you on the program with us, Dina. It's good to be here. Thanks, Dave, for having me. Well, you know, first off, we should uh, talk about Paddle Antrum as an organization because um, a lot of folks may not have heard about your group. Tell us about that. Definitely. So Paddle Antrum is a nonprofit up here in Northwest Michigan. And our mission is to protect the waterways, getting people connected through paddle sports. We really feel that when people are engaged and out on the water, they understand why it's so important to protect these and can make changes to protect these waterways and our natural areas in the future. And, and most of what you do is in the, uh, the, the county, Antrim County, which is um, kind of east north of Traverse City. Is that right? It is. So the Chain of Lakes watershed actually is in four counties. So it's mainly in Antrim, but it is also in Charlevoix, Kalkaska, and actually Grand Traverse County as well. Well, it's it's a pretty cool thing to think that we have so many paddling opportunities in Michigan. You know, people, I think, have, have gotten to know Michigan for our our land trails, you know, the hiking and biking trails. We are the trails state. We really do have more trail mileage than any other state in the country. And and people should also know that when you have 11,000 lakes in a state, it's very likely many of them are connected. <laughs> so, so, so here's the case uh, where that is absolutely true. Uh, you call it the Chain of Lakes Water Trail. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, so the Chain of Lakes is a watershed up here in uh, northwestern Michigan and actually is 12 interconnected, um, 12 lakes with interconnected rivers that flows um, from Charlevoix County, kind of between Ellsworth and East Jordan, and actually empties out into Grand Traverse Bay and Lake Michigan. So it's uh, very comprehensive waterways with over 100 miles of water trail to explore. Well, for for people who have never uh, done a a kind of a longer trip where you're actually going from lake to lake, um, tell us about that experience and what it's like to uh, kind of traverse a a trail like this. Yeah, so the Chain of Lakes is a great spot for doing day trips. So it's not like a backpack, you know, go down and camp along the way. Um, But it is a great experience where you can choose to paddle if you want to go as small as three miles, or you can paddle, you know, up to 42 miles in one day where you kind of start in one spot and you'll travel from lake to lake. If you start in the upper, the chain of lakes is separated into two two parts as we call it with a dam in the middle and bel air and the upper chain is a bunch of small smaller little lakes they're very small you can feel the shoreline kind of next to you they're great for inner beginner paddlers intermediate paddlers you'll see folks like fishermen and such out on these waterways and then we have the lower chain on the lower half of the dam south of bel air that goes into elk rapids and then you'll see bigger lakes that people around the state will recognize the names of like Elk Lake and Torch Lake. And those are some bigger waterways where you can traverse along, you know, like 20 miles of shoreline of Torch Lake or go from one lake into another all the way to Elk Rapids. So those are some bigger waterways where you'll have more waves, you'll see some motorboats, and it's a completely different experience than you'll have on the upper chain. 
Well, I'm glad you really mentioned that it's not one of those chains of lakes where you're going to be out there for five days all by yourself and in camping and whatever. Uh, really is different. You can take just a little link of it or just kind of paddle along a lake or or one of the streams, or you can try to try to you know handle the whole thing. If you, if you were going to start you know at like point A and end up at point Z. Um, and not racing, just kind of taking your time. How long would that take the average paddler, would you guess? If you wanted to, so the, the water trail is over 100 miles. So if you really wanted to do the whole trail, I would say it's going to take most people probably three to five days to start all the way at the top in Six Mile Lake and travel all the way down into Elk Rapids. Um, people typically, you know, three to seven miles for the average paddler to do a day um, and it adds up so if you really wanted to do it you're going to be putting in some some longer days um, if you wanted to do it shorter than that i have i have done trips like that when i was younger let me just say i have done trips like that that take four days or whatever and now in this case you're not talking about white water so there there's not that to be worried about right there isn't. That's the benefit of the Chain of Lakes water trail that I feel is it is a lake system. And while there are connecting rivers, there isn't much current. So besides not being able to pass the dam, you can actually go in either direction. So if you don't want to deal with the shuttle per se, you can kind of paddle up to a point and come back and to the same spot, which makes it the, the options on the water trail so, so plentiful. Yeah, and it's, it's something you can do, you know, with either yourself or, or someone else. I always, you know, recommend if you're going to paddle to be paddling with others. But Definitely. It's, it's not like you need a support team to uh, to help you get in the water and then somewhere later come out if you want to just do a, a, a day paddle like that. Exactly. Not having to have a shuttle car sometimes is really nice. It, it sure is. Um, well, and, and I think that, you know, by introducing people to the sport in this way, it's less intimidating. Uh, and, and then maybe later on, after people try some of the shorter routes, they could take the longer routes. Now, if they were going to yeah. do this and try to do like an entire day, maybe link a few days together, does Paddle Antrim provide information on where they might want to put in, put out, places to stay, places to eat, things like that? Definitely. So. The Chain of Lakes Water Trail is a state-designated water trail, and we have worked really hard to make that kind of information available to folks. So we have a dedicated website, chainoflakeswatertrail.org, where you can find all the information that you need to have a quality experience. You'll find the route information. Um, you'll find information to purchase our paddler guides. We developed a 30-page waterproof flip map um, that people can have out on the water with them so they know kind of where the next bathroom is, how far it is to the next route, and all that information nice and handy, in addition to the information that you'll find on signs at every one of the access sites along the way. So there are signs here and there, because that's, that's a big deal, um, giving some kind of information to people on actually just kind of the, the simple things, what type of uh, experience to expect or just where to put your, your canoes and kayaks in. Definitely. We feel strongly about signage. And so we have 84 access sites on this trail that have been approved by the local governments and nonprofits along the route. And every single access site has a sign with a map on it that'll tell you kind of where you are in relation to the system. And at our trailheads and 
larger access sites, there's a kiosk that has even more information. So if you happen to end in downtown Bel Air, there's a map of the community that'll say within a mile, here's the closest restaurant or ice cream place or all of those things that people want. And in addition on those signs, we feel strongly that we wanna share messages that are really important to us. So people find information about safety, about being a good steward on the water trail and protecting our waterways um, as well. Fantastic. Well, I know I'm going to look forward uh, to uh, checking out the Chain of Lakes Water Trail this season. So a couple of websites to look for, chainoflakeswatertrail.org for information about this uh, 12 lakes uh, chain that we've been speaking of. And if you'd like more information about Paddle Antrim, go to paddleantrum.com. Our thanks to Dina Jurdy for being with us today. And I have to tell you, I really, I can't wait to check it out myself. I have um, been uh, looking forward to uh, kayaking all winter long. So can't wait to do it. Uh, and I will this season. I hope you do as well. We're going to head to Meyer Gardens next here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. If you're looking for a sign that spring has finally arrived, I have to tell you, there's one big sign in West Michigan, and that is when the butterflies start to bloom at Meyer Gardens and Sculpture Park in that beautiful place in Grand Rapids. Let's talk about that, find out how you can visit, give you all the uh, rules of the road and such, and then find out what else is happening at Frederick Meyer Gardens and Sculpture Park. Let's bring in John Vanderhagen. He's Director of Communications. John, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, Dave. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on today. Well, I'm actually looking forward to being at your beautiful place. I always make it a point to stop by at least once in the springtime, if only to see the butterflies. But frankly, you know, there's so much to see and do there that um, it's one of those places that I always make my my seasonal visits at yeah. the very least, in addition to meetings that you guys often, quite often hold in normal yeah. times. So yeah. uh, can't wait to see what's happening these days for spring because everything's changed just a little bit because of COVID. Yeah, it really has. So, you know, this spring is, is definitely exciting for us. We are thrilled to be open to the public safely. Um, and obviously butterflies is a sure sign of spring starting here at Frederick Meyer Gardens and Sculpture Park. But with everything else that we have going on, you know, our four year expansion plan uh, is really starting to uh, come to an end. We just opened our beautiful new Welcome Center. We had a soft opening in early January, so we're starting to use that building. Um, the full opening of that building will be later on this fall, but really excited to get guests through. Uh, lots to see and do. Obviously, the outdoor gardens are starting to wake up, become even more beautiful, and our permanent sculpture collection is always on display. So lots to see and do uh, outside of butterflies, but I'm excited to talk about butterflies specifically today. Yeah, well, I know you've gone through a lot of construction the last couple of years. Was was that latest construction all to do with the, the, the new Welcome Center? Because it was it was quite a big, uh, big uh, deal of construction. Yeah, primarily uh, the Welcome Center, I like to say, is kind of the crown jewel of this project. Um, we looked at several years ago every kind of point of the guest uh, experience here, and, and we're noticing uh, pinch points at admission uh, and pinch points kind of getting to our more popular exhibitions. So uh, in addition to kind of up, updating some areas around the gardens with our amphitheater, we have a new tram station that uh, opened about two years ago, a new Covenant Learning Center, 
Um, what's most recently come online is this new Welcome Center. So a great place for guests to uh, kind of orient themselves when they first arrive, see some beautiful new sculpture that we've acquired, um, get their tickets in, a, in the Daniel and Pamela DeVos Ticketing Center, which is about three times as large as our old ticketing center. And then from there, go on to experience uh, the gardens and sculpture park that guests might be, be more familiar with. Well, one of the things I've really enjoyed with uh, that construction is you have a much longer kind of covered area to either, you know, walk into the facility or to stand in line because, heck, you know, it's it's busy this time of year and sometimes it, it, you have to stand in lines. It definitely is, yeah. So that was part of the in, intentional design was to have a kind of a transitional period from outside to inside. So um, that area will be really nice in the summer. We can open up some large glass doors, have a breeze, and then this year, next uh, this time next year, we'll have a beautiful view out onto a, an English perennial garden that's being completely reimagined right now as well. So, um, yeah, like you mentioned, some great covered areas for folks as they're waiting or, or waiting to meet their group. And then you enter the Welcome Center, you'll see some new enhanced safety procedures, uh, some uh, widened queuing areas to keep folks safe here uh, as we're in this transitional time uh, as we're hoping, hopefully coming to the end of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, of course, we still have restrictions to capacity at uh, facilities like yours, museums and such. But yes. but just at the same time, I think people are more anxious to get out and to go to places like Meyer Gardens and Sculpture Park just to kind of get out of the house and get some fresh air. And, you know, you Absolutely. offer this, this indoor-outdoor experience, which is pretty unique. Yeah, yeah. So we are really blessed to kind of have uh, the best of both worlds, as I like to say. So we have several beautiful indoor gardens uh, from around the world. We have an arid garden, we have a, a seasonal display garden that's constantly changing out, a Victorian garden, uh, the Lena Meyer Tropical Conservatory, which is the home to our butterflies are blooming. Uh, but then when you get outside, you know, several different garden areas, 158 acres make up our main campus, so plenty of room to get out uh, safely, uh, physically distanced from other groups and, and enjoy a walk as well as nearly four mile walking trails. So we've got a lot to do both inside and outside uh, for folks as they're, they're starting to get out and about a little bit more. Uh, and obviously guest safety being the top of our, our priority list. So uh, folks might notice a few different changes here than maybe their last visit. Um, some enhanced hand sanitizing stations, uh, enhanced physical distancing, uh, and then some other things with uh, queuing as people come in before they get to butterflies. Well, I always like to uh, make sure that I'm using the right sponsorship and endorsement names for yeah. various exhibits because as sure. much as I truly, I mean, wholeheartedly appreciate Frederick and Lena Meyer and the Meyer family and all they've yeah. done to bring this great facility uh, to us, a lot of the exhibits are brought um, to us in, in great deal because of the underwriting of others. So is this the Dorothy Fichter Butterflies Are Blooming exhibit? It's actually the Fred and Dorothy. So this Fred is a different Fred from our beloved Fred, but Fred Victor <laughs> is also a beloved Fred. So Fred and Dorothy really, uh, you know, loved bringing their family to this exhibition throughout the years. So uh, a few years ago, um, Fred and his wife, uh, you know, their their family gave us a wonderful donation to be able to bring this exhibition uh, to Michigan in perpetuity. So we're really thankful, you know, for all of our wonderful donors, our members, the general public that supports us. Uh, but in the springtime, especially thankful for Fred and Dorothy Fichter for being able to, uh, you know, provide a gift that brings this beauty to, to, to the masses. Yeah, thanks to them, uh, certainly. Uh, without that type of uh, support, you know, we'd all be spending a lot more money to enjoy such a thing. So, so tell us about the exhibit this year. I know we've, um, we've, a lot of people have been there before, but some people have never been to Butterflies Are Blooming. 
Yeah, it is truly amazing and it's very hard to describe in words. So I'd encourage folks to uh, go to our website, um, MeyerGardens.org. I'm sure it's linked from Michigan.org, but we also have um, on our social media channels, wonderful photos and videos, but it's truly breathtaking. So inside of the Lena Meyer Tropical Conservatory, uh, which is uh, the largest glass structure of its kind in the nation, um, we have about six to 7,000 butterflies flying freely. Uh, these are butterflies from all over the world. They're tropical butterflies. Uh, they come to us from different countries around the world. And it's just truly uh, uh, indescribable experience to walk into this room where it's 85 degrees, it's humid, you hear uh, the sounds of, of the waterfall, you hear the tropical birds chirping, and you look up and there's just a cloud of butterflies that you don't normally see. Um, before you get to that room, we have a, an area where we have caterpillars and monarch butterflies, which are native to Michigan. So those are a little bit more familiar, but, but truly a, a breathtaking experience to walk into the Lena Meyer Tropical Conservatory and be surrounded with all of these thousands of butterflies. Well, the conservatory in itself is quite a marvel. Um, it's, it's, you know, not only is it a, a big space, but I love the way the architects... Um, you know, created the trail because you kind of meander through yeah. and it feels bigger than than it really is, even though it's a, it's a really big place. Yeah, it's very deceptive because it does have the glass walls, the glass ceiling. So it, like you mentioned, it feels huge. Uh, you walk past and underneath a waterfall, you walk over a bridge that has a stream. Uh, you look up and you see all these different horticultural examples from all over the world, um, including some very unique specimens not found anywhere else in the area. So you know, butterflies removed. It's a, a beautiful room to spend some time. Uh, it's one of my favorite spots in the gardens to go, especially in the winter, uh, because it feels like a tropical vacation for 15 minutes or so that yeah. I can get away. That's right. Um, but this year, um, last year, unfortunately, we, we closed down on March 13th, so just 13 days into the exhibition. So we brought back the theme uh, this year uh, of Into the Glass House. So we're really explaining the story of Wardian cases, um, how butterflies and, and plant life throughout the years have been moved around the world, and then how, um, how our glass case of, of both Awardian case to our tropical conservatories all make the possibility um, a realistic to bring butterflies uh, to our guests. Well, I'm looking forward to checking it out again this uh, season. But it is, it's your busiest time. There are going to be lines. It's just the way it is. And yeah. I know people are going to be uh, expected to distance and, and all the other protocols. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. And, and as they as they wait for these things, you know, there's so much else uh, to see there. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, we do have 158 acres, um, permanent outdoor gardens, a permanent sculpture collection to enjoy. So, you know, uh, like you said, there are wait times. So this is our most popular exhibition in a, in a normal year. Uh, I think with the added layers of our reduced capacity and the COVID restrictions, there are going to be wait times. So we ask, um, you know, the patience of our guests, uh, especially on weekends, especially as we get into April and some busier spring break times. Um, typically, when we first open around 9 a.m. during the week, 11 a.m. on Sundays, lines are a little bit less at that time or early afternoon. So if you can time your visit to be here right when we open or early to mid-afternoon. And if you notice a line for the butterflies, uh, feel free to go outside and enjoy the rest that we have to offer. The Lena Meyer Children's Garden is open and fantastic in the spring. And then circle back around or maybe one person from your party can wait in the butterfly line while the rest uh, go to see something else. 
uh, for that possible wait time. But, some some uh, good, line, yeah, some good sorry. tips on, on how yeah. to enjoy the, the visit to Butterflies Are Blooming, Frederick Meyer Gardens. The website is meyergardens.org. And our thanks to John Vanderhagen for being with us today. We head to Lansing next here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan, and uh, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this last week. I have to tell you, the weather certainly has been uh, very nice for people who want to start thinking about spring, as we've been talking about on today's program. But one of the things you might want to look at is doing some indoor activities with the kids for spring break this season. So, Let's bring in uh, Julie Pinkston. Julie is the CEO president of the Greater Lansing Convention Visitors Bureau. Because, Julie, uh, Lansing is a great option for people wanting to take their kids for a place, maybe an indoor-outdoor activity. You're so right, Dave. Thanks for having me today. And, you know, a lot of our attractions have been closed for a very long time and have been reopening over the last few months. And it's really exciting to see how they've been able to transition and make things very safe, make things very fun still, and be able to get families out and about and uh, do something together. We've got, um, you know, the Impression 5 Science Center, who has got always something fun for family activities. They've been able to keep their labs that they do so kids can still make slime and and have great experiences there. So who doesn't want to make slime, right? Yeah. So, so it, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that. I was recently uh, with uh, my brother and his grandson, and they were telling me you can actually make that stuff. So I had no idea that was something you could do at a museum as well. Absolutely. Yeah, you can make it at your home. They'll show you how to do that too. And and we're really pleased that they're still doing some of their um, sensory friendly programming um, in the center, but also online. So that's been really nice that we've been able to keep that as an option for the community as well. Um, Potter Park Zoo is also doing um, their monthly sensory friendly programming and all needs programming. So it's really great that we're able to offer, you know, opportunities for everybody to experience and enjoy our community. And, you know, what a great time to now get out to the zoo and really be able to see some baby animals coming. We had some new otters, which are, you know, super cute, of course. <laughs> and you, you, and you otter, go see them. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, I know. Terrible. Hey, let's, let's talk about uh, sensory friendly activities for a moment, because it, it's mm -hmm. something that I bet uh, a lot of the listeners out there are wondering what we're talking about. Uh, and if you don't know some somebody with autism or somebody who has a child with autism, you may not be aware of that term or, or what you're doing so well uh, in Lansing. Why don't you tell us about that? Yes, thank you. We, you know, for a few years now have really worked with our local attractions and community on being able to offer um, an experience for everyone. So many people do have trouble processing those loud noises and bright lights. So there are now opportunities that things can be done in a little bit more quiet atmosphere and tolerable for people that really have difficulties processing all those 
things coming at them, uh, children and adults. So our community has been really engaged in offering those opportunities as well as training our own teams here um, how, to, how to best serve our guests that might be traveling here on the spectrum. So we've had over a thousand people be trained and really engaged in what we're doing. And even though the pandemic slowed that a little bit, we're still making it a, a key focus for this community and I'm very proud of where we've come with that and that it's still continuing even though it kind of took a little bit of a blip but we're, we're engaged fully now going forward. Well it's it's one of those things that that we have to remember is still really critically important that we work on as a travel industry to be welcoming to all you know COVID's been you know devastating to so many of us in so many ways mm -hmm. but we have these other initiatives that we want to make sure that we continue to move forward like you know, helping the disabled community in a variety of ways enjoy what uh, everybody else gets to enjoy here in Michigan. So that's that's part of that cause. Right. And, you know, it's just one step leads to another step that leads to another step. So you can, you know, take a virtual tour if you're not comfortable going out and about. And our website has almost every attraction and location um, with a virtual tour at this time. And then maybe that does make you realize, OK, that's something that we can do as a family and something that looks manageable so then you can come out and try that in a, in a controlled environment and then maybe you know that leads to another step so it's mm -hmm. really a building block for um, all kinds of abilities and that's been our goal all along. That's great uh, of course the website is lansing.org and you can find out not only about uh, you know the sensory uh, issues and opportunities but everything else uh, that is offered in the Lansing area. Of course, at this time of the year, I would normally be working in my office weekdays uh, very close to the riverfront and running that beautiful riverfront trail. I suspect uh, the Lansing folks and visitors are starting to use that trail if they haven't already during COVID. Uh, they're probably really starting to, to use it now that uh, the weather is warming up. So we actually have a few people gathering for just such a thing this afternoon to kind of explore the riverfront in a walking kind of fashion. So it's um, definitely engaging everyone right now because it's a beautiful um, walk through our downtown along the riverfront. You know, we opened Rotary Park the fall before the pandemic and Rotary Park became this, you know, revitalized riverfront development and no one got to really enjoy it because it opened in the fall and then it was COVID and here we still are. So, yeah. so a lot of people now are getting out and exploring that and being able to offer opportunities in that space. You know, Rivertown Adventures is our kayak outfitter and they are just about to open soon and they are going to be gangbusters, I'm sure, this year because it's just such a reinvigorated space and a lot of really good things happening there. Yeah, I, I, I think that's pretty cool that you can actually kayak right downtown Yes. Uh, in Lansing. So here's an, an option for people who are looking maybe for an indoor outdoor family experience during spring break. Uh, you could actually go downtown, maybe park um, near Impression 5, which is like right on the riverfront, downtown Lansing, and then maybe bike over to the zoo because it's not too far away. You could do both of those activities. You could do it on bike, do it 
indoor and outdoor, a nice, nice family healthy experience. And that trail offers a really nice route. So, you know, that trail goes 14 miles. It's It used to be 3.7 and then it expanded to nine and now it's 14 as it keeps connecting throughout the community. And it goes right through the core of downtown into Michigan State University's campus. So it's really able to connect you throughout the entire community via a trail right along a river, which is just a really spectacular opportunity to enjoy a community, especially, a, you know, a city destination, but from a different viewpoint where you think, I'm, am I in a city right now? I don't think I am. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, of course, most people probably are very aware of downtown Lansing. If they haven't been there for a while, they really need to check it out because it's it's really turned out to be a just a really cool town. A lot of new construction building-wise. I haven't actually mm -hmm. seen, uh, you know, some of the construction that's happened during COVID, but I know, do you have the new hotel open yet? So we opened a new courtyard by Marriott, downtown Lansing. It opened February 11th. So yes, they are fully engaged, ready to uh, serve guests. And they've been serving a, a number of guests already. So it's been a great asset to the downtown, a very cosmopolitan looking um, courtyard property with a bistro right out front and a, a patio right there on Michigan Avenue. It attaches to um, the Capital City Market, which is one of those urban concepts by Meyer, which is just a really fantastic unique way to shop. It's kind of a farmer's market, yet it has Meyer's pricing, has so many Michigan-made and local-made products that you can really get a flavor for, for the town and our state. And, and they have just been a, a really great asset to downtown as well. It's becoming a mini attraction in itself, just you know, going grocery shopping, right? <laughs> well, who knows when uh, state employees will, help will uh, head back to downtown Lansing. But in the interim, I believe I'm going to maybe just check out Lansing one day, take a day or two off see what's happening, and I recommend that uh, you do as well. The website is lansing.org. Uh, check that out, and if you uh, need more information, you can find all the contact information for the crew at the Greater Lansing Convention Visitors Bureau. Uh, you can get a hold of Julie and others, and they'll they'll help lead you through your experience in Lansing, Old Town, the entire area. It's really something else. The website again, lansing.org. And I want to thank Julie Pinkston for being our guest today on Travel Michigan. And wouldn't you know it, that's all the time we have for Travel Michigan this week. Went fast again. We'll talk to you next week right here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org.